Hey, welcome to Accidental Gods, to the place where we believe that another world is still possible, and that together we can make it happen. And by now, you're familiar, I'm sure, with our proposition of how we think we can make it happen. That evolution happens in any species, under moments of intense pressure, and my goodness, the pressure on our species is growing more intense by the day. And we haven't got the time, we never have had the time, for slow tweaks of DNA at this stage of the game. What we do have time for, and what we can do still, is create conscious evolution. The evolution of consciousness, consciously chosen. That if we can change what we think, and change how we feel, we can change who we are. And if enough of us can do that, the whole that we will make will be so much greater than the sum of our individual parts. And through that, we can make the leap, the emergence from the complex system of our current society, of our current communities, of our current culture, to something that our world has never seen before. And in pursuit of that, I want to talk today about habits, what they are, and how we can inculcate the ones that we want. Because this is how we change what we think and change what we feel, and how we change what we are. And right at the top, I want to speak to you the words of Lao Tzu, who many, many thousands of years ago saw the process of this. He said, Watch your thoughts, for they become words. Watch your words, for they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habit. Watch your habits, they become character. And watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. And leaving aside that he didn't mention feeling in that, and for me, our habits of feeling are the absolute core of all that we are, it is still nonetheless a really brilliant exposition of how we get from where we are to where we want to be. So we're going to look at thoughts and the habits of thinking and how we can make new habits of thinking by changing the habits of what we do. So let's go on the ride. In the beginning, I want to look at the absolute core science of this, because my belief remains, for myself and I hope for you, that if I understand why I am doing something, then if the how doesn't quite work for me, I can go back to absolute basic principles and work out something that does work for me. And this applies to you. If I can explain to you why I am suggesting we do what we do, and it doesn't quite work for you, if you understand the baselines, then please go out and work out something else. So let's look at the science of habits. And starting with a behaviour. A behaviour, any behaviour, is a sequence of actions that has a clearly defined beginning, middle and end. In the study of behavioural science, we call that a loop. And we're looking for clean loops where we can see a beginning and an action, and a clean end before the next behaviour, because behaviours never exist in isolation, but we can look at them in our clean loops. 
And a habit is one of these behavioural units, one of these clean behavioural loops that is expressed without our conscious thought. Often they start with conscious thought and then they move below the level of conscious thinking so that they're controlled by our basal ganglia. This is hardwired into the firmware of who we are because thinking takes time. And one of the absolute hierarchies of our internal processes that really matters and about which we can do very little is the hierarchy of speed. Unconscious actions happen faster than things we have to think about. If our amygdala needs to send out an emergency signal to the rest of our being that there's a saber-toothed tiger in the undergrowth and we need to move now, it can do it in around 10 to 12 milliseconds. If we have to stop and think about whether the shadows in the undergrowth or the rustling that we heard might mean a saber-toothed tiger and that might mean that we have to move now, then however fast we want to think, it's still going to take 120 to 150 milliseconds at its fastest. And that is not fast enough for survival. So the things that are integral to and necessary to our survival become habitual very quickly. But the corollary to that is that it also frees up our thinking so that we can think about the things that do take time and that are important to us, like, why am I here? And what do I want to do with my life? And how can I build habits that I enjoy? So we want our habits to become subconscious, but that means that we need to understand the processes of subconscious behaviour in order to get them there. So habits are behaviours. Behaviours follow very straightforward rules. If a behaviour is reinforced, it will happen again. If it is not reinforced or is actively diminished, it will tend to happen less. So then we need to look at what is reinforcement, and we're going to look at that in much more depth in a minute, but basically it's reinforcing if good stuff happens or if bad stuff doesn't happen. So I get something I want or something I actively don't want begins to go away. Those are the things that will make a behaviour happen. So basically, I get a treat if I'm a dog, I get a treat, behaviour happens. I get no treat or something really bad happens, I am less likely to repeat the behaviour. If you're into dog training, punishment, which is the inhibition of behaviour, is first of all a really advanced skill because you have to get your timing absolutely right. And it's also a really, really bad way of training anything. If you train with positive reinforcement, which is to say good stuff happens, it is much, much more effective than any other method of training. Horses, dogs, cats, spiders, amoeba, anything with any kind of consciousness, positive reinforcement is better. Rant over. So we're back to habits. Habits are behaviours. Behaviours exist in discrete loops and they follow the laws of training, which is to say reinforcement makes them happen more and inhibition makes them happen less. For a habit to stick, that is for it to become enduring and fitted in with the other habit sequences of our day, it needs to have minimal friction. So what we say is that it needs to be easy, it needs to be obvious, it needs to be attainable, and it needs to be definable, as well as being rewarding. Finally, in our little basic science toolkit, a fully formed habit 
has four distinct parts. It has a trigger or a cue that's something in the internal or external environment that tells us that it's time for this behaviour to happen now. We need to have a desire for the behaviour to happen. Habits are small-scale addictions, so we need to have that sense of, I really want this to happen. The behaviour itself is an integral part, and then the reinforcement comes at the end. So it has a trigger, it has a desire, it has the action itself, and it has the reward. And it can be that the reward is another sequence of behaviour. So I get up in the morning and I brush my teeth. And then I go downstairs and I make a cup of tea. And there's a set of distinct behaviours in there. There's getting up, possibly getting dressed, brushing teeth, walking downstairs, putting on the kettle, making the tea. Of those, the last one is the one that is obviously rewarding. It's reinforcing the entire behaviour chain. But it does matter that we look at the behaviours in little discrete loops, because trying to instil a very long behaviour is unlikely to work. If we're trying to create behaviours, create habits, we want to slice them up into the smallest loops that we can and still have a discrete behaviour. And then once we've looked at the behaviour, we want to slice that into small parts also, because it's easier to instil small things and render them habitual than to go through a whole long complex sequence. This is one of the reasons why if you start to meditate, and you really want to, you understand all the reasons why meditation is a good thing physiologically, psychologically, for the future of yourself and the planet. All of these are good things, but you sit down and you try to do 30 minutes a day. It's January, you've set all your New Year's resolutions, you are going to do this, and by the third week of January, you've stopped. Because thinking it's a good idea is not actually reinforcing. And you've faced yourself with this very long habit chain of sit down and do whatever you do within the process of your mindfulness practice for half an hour. And then you may or may not have given yourself a reinforcement at the end. And it's too much. So, as we are aiming for conscious evolution, and we have our four concepts of what we need to get there, and these are, in case you haven't got them written down since last time, Awakening into connection, being able to go out and connect with the rest of the web of consciousness in ways that are free of fear and ego and projection and judgment, so that we can ask questions and hear answers in ways that are clear and where we have answers that are coherent and constructive and that we have a history of knowing that they are such. In order to do that, we need to begin to build the habits of connection with the rest of the world. And if you're following our membership program, then you'll know already that we begin by building the habit of connecting to water, because it's ubiquitous but intermittent within our world. We've explained that elsewhere. Alongside that, at the same time, we need to build the habits of internal coherence, because if we're going to make connections that are free of ego and judgment and projection and fear, then we need to see those things arising within us and be able to step back from them. And that requires processes, habits of being that we need to practice on a daily basis. So we do, in the end, want to build some kind of habit of 
contemplation or mindfulness or meditation. But if we're going to build it in a way that's going to last us a lifetime, we start with the rules of making it easy and obvious and attainable, not starting with 30 minutes. So I'm making this podcast in the belief that if you've listened this far, you actually want to develop some habits of your own. I'm going to pick a habit as an example, but quite clearly, once you understand the basics of what we're doing, you unpick this and turn it into whatever you need for your habit. So I'm going to suppose that I want to build a habit of listening to a mindfulness meditation that begins and ends with a chime, a a Tibetan bull bell, and lasts five minutes in the middle, which is quite a big behaviour. So, the first thing that I want to do, having defined the behaviour, I want to sit down or sit on my bed, put in my earphones, because I don't want anyone else to listen to my meditation. I want to press go on whatever I'm using, probably my iPad. I want to listen to it from the beginning all the way through in a a way that is focused, probably on my breath. Let's assume this is a breath meditation. Until the chime at the end, when I want to take my earbuds out, fold them away very neatly because, hey, OCD, put them on the bedside table, and then go into whatever is happening after this particular behavioural sequence. So I've defined the clean loop of my behaviour, from getting onto the bed to getting off the bed. Those are the beginnings and ends of my loop. I want also to slide this new behaviour into a sequence of behaviours, partly because habit chains are themselves habitual. I get up in the morning, I have a shower, I brush my teeth, I get dressed, I go downstairs, I make a cup of tea, I go out and I let the chickens out, I feed the ponies, I walk the dog. Each of these, unless I make an absolute effort to make it different, can be pretty habitual. In the old days when I had a day job, I remember getting to work and not remembering a single part of the process from waking up to getting there. Because my thinking process had been on very habitual lines, doing other things, but they weren't engaged in the actual process of getting me to the vet school to start a day's anaesthesia. So a number of things come out of that. First is thinking is a habit too. We'll deal with that later. But actual behavioural habits exist in chains and we want to slide our new behaviour into an existing chain in a place where it will work. So I want to do a meditation. There are a number of things around that. I need to do it at a time when there will be time. And if I want to do a five minute meditation, I could get up five minutes earlier and that gives me time to do it in a day that is one assumes otherwise planned from getting up to going to bed. I want to slide it in at a time that will support my meditation. And if I can do it absolutely first thing when I wake, then I am more likely to be in alpha patterns of brainwaves than the beta habits of thinking that turn up later in the day. I might not be, but there's a chance. So let's do something that supports that. So what I would do in the process of building my new behavioural sequence is to actually sit and write down my behaviour sequence for the morning, get up, have a shower, brush my teeth, go downstairs, make a cup of tea, etc, etc. And break it down into actual behaviours. So getting up involves getting up, walking to the bathroom, turning on the shower, 
fiddling with the temperature, whatever I need to do to look at actual behavioural modules. And then analyse those for where are the reinforcements. Brushing my teeth, surprisingly, is quite reinforcing because generations of designers of toothpaste have made sure that it is slightly addictive. And that sense of our gums tingling feels like our teeth are clean. And clean is a good thing. There are some really primary metaphors that cross language and age and culture and all of the normal barriers that separate human beings from each other. And clean is good, up is good, warm is good, weighty is advantageous and academic in certain circumstances. So so a book that is heavy feels more important than a book that is light. Those sorts of things are absolute primary metaphors. So if my teeth feel like they're clean, clean is good, that's quite a good reinforcement. So I have that as a little reinforcing peak during the day. Then I go downstairs and make a cup of tea and that's definitely reinforcing because primary reinforcers are the things that we all need. Food, water, warmth, shelter, companionship, play. These things are all primary reinforcers for most of us most of the time. They're not always appropriate. Playing while I'm driving to work is not appropriate, but that wouldn't stop it being a reinforcer. It just means it's not a useful one to use under those circumstances. So I look at my habit sequence and I decide when in my day I can fit in a new five minute behaviour. And I've decided that I want to do it as soon as I wake up, leaving aside that the dog will notice and will try and jump on the bed. We'll leave that one aside. So I have my habit that I want to bring in my new behaviour, which is five minutes of listening to a well-defined track. And I know the structure of that habit. I know when I want to put it in, which is first thing in the morning. And then I need to look at what can be reinforcing because my behaviour must end with something that is reinforcing even if it's another behaviour. And we know that drinking tea is reinforcing. Supposing for me that eating a square of chocolate was reinforcing it. It's not because I hate chocolate but I realise that I am almost alone in the totality of humanity and that being the case. So for most of you eating a square of chocolate is probably going to be reinforcing. And it's an easy reinforcer. It's like me giving a cat biscuit to my dog. There's a lot of reasons why cat biscuits are bad, but once in a while, a cat biscuit for the dog is really reinforcing. So I need to sit down and actually work out what do I find reinforcing? And what can I give myself at the end of this behaviour that is reinforcing? So let's take a moment to look at the nature of reinforcement. Because we said at the top that good things happening or bad things going away are the two things that will reinforce. And we know that positive reinforcement is much, much more efficient than the reinforcement of taking something bad away, which is quite hard to arrange. So, on the whole, in broad brush strokes, there are four different neurochemicals which we all find reinforcing, and they are dopamine, endorphins, serotonin, and oxytocin. And of them all, dopamine is the most obvious and the easiest to achieve. Dopamine, the words for dopamine are, I got it. And it can be anything from a square of chocolate to a cup of tea 
to a Facebook-like to my preferred tribal unit winning over the opposing tribal unit, which can be football, but increasingly these days is politics. My political side just won an argument, even if it's only an argument on Twitter, and even if the only person who defines it as having won is me. There are quite a lot of interesting studies demonstrating that political partisanship is as addictive as cocaine, which is one of the reasons we are where we are, and for what it's worth, even as a Labour activist who trudged the streets in December for six weeks at the last election. I am doing my best to let go of tribalism, because we have to. This is nothing to do with habits. Well, it is slightly because I have to let go of the habits of tribalism. But this is part of who we need to become if we're going to make the next evolutionary step. And I am wholly convinced that who we need to become is not tribal. We need to let go of the tribal rivalries. If for no other reason than tribalism plus exponential weapons growth does lead inexorably to destruction. So that's a bit of an aside. But dopamine is, I got it. And we can give it to ourselves with a square of chocolate or two minutes surfing on Facebook or even opening our email and seeing that there's something there that we like. If you can guarantee to do that in the morning, then that in itself is reinforcing. Our addictions build themselves because largely we're getting little hits, usually of dopamine. Next on the list is serotonin, which is, the words for that is, I am the best at whatever it is I'm choosing to do. Or even, I am good enough that I'm getting respect from a group for whom I have respect. So in the old days, this was translated as, we all need a job in which we have pride, which is wholly untrue. We do not need a job in which we have pride. Lots of people have jobs in which they have no pride at all, and lots of people don't have jobs. And I also think we're going to have to move towards looking at what we do with our time in different ways. That's a whole other podcast. But I have achieved something in the eyes of my peers that we all think is good. That's serotonin. So if your peer group is your Extinction Rebellion group, and gluing yourself to the front doors of a major industrial bank that's investing in fossil fuels is what gets you peer group approval, then you will get a huge serotonin hit from that. Next on our list is endorphins, the exhilaration of physical success. These are the internal opiate analogues that arise when we push our body to its limits. So when we top out on a climb, or when we do a run really well, or even just doing a lot of digging in the garden if you haven't found no-dig gardening yet. That can get you to the endorphin hits. I have a theory also that in the days when I used to play World of Warcraft, and I have given up that addiction for the fourth time, but I definitely have this time, in the days when we did that, and we'd have a really hard-fought battleground because I was a battleground healer, and I wasn't running up and down healing the tank and everybody else. But I felt as if I had. And if we won, I got that massive hit of the serotonin. We did it. I healed you. We got you through. And I'm pretty sure I was getting the same kind of endorphin hits that I got when I was climbing. It's kind of interesting. And if you look at the studies that demonstrate that the people who imagine they are lifting weights get 80% of the muscle mass of the people who actually lift the weights, then 
I am fairly sure that running up and down in World of Warcraft was giving me endorphin hits, very similar to actually running up and down. I'm not sure it was making me any fitter, though. One of the many reasons I've stopped. The last in our list of the really major feedbacks is oxytocin. And this is I am loved. And this is parent-child love, or partnership love, or actually caregiver and pet love, or the love that we have for the people who are really close to us in our community. This is our ability to build friendships and relationships that really nurture us. And those are the ones that give us oxytocin. And those are just as essential, but they're a lot harder to key into in terms of giving ourselves a reinforcement at the end of our behavioural loop. And one of the last things to say on reinforcing is that anticipation, desire, is a really, really strong reinforcer. When they do work on monkeys or rats or anything else that they choose to do physiological studies on, you give the rat its little drink of sugar water and it gets a dopamine hit. If you set up the circumstances such that it is expecting its little drink of sugar water, you get a much higher dopamine hit. You also get intense frustration if it doesn't get its sugar water or if the monkey doesn't get its grape. And for people, building up that sense of anticipation can be a huge reinforcer if you peg it with the behaviour. So we were all kids. For some, at least of us, Christmas morning was one of those moments where there was lots of colour and lots of noise and bright, pretty parcels under a tree, huge triggers with scent and sight and sound and that sense of anticipation of it's Christmas. There is something exciting in the parcel. And quite often when we opened it, it was quite disappointing that what was in there was not anywhere like what our imagination had built, probably because it wouldn't have been possible to have anything like what our imagination had built. That the anticipation, that sense of, oh my goodness, this is going to be amazing, was huge. And forever after, the scent of pine needles or of oranges with clothes in or the sound of Christmas music playing is enough to evoke that. Which is why all the stores in the Western world play Christmas music for weeks before the actual day. And I am still of the belief that if you ignore it long enough, it goes away. But that doesn't stop it being a useful emotional trigger to help us build into a behaviour that we really want to structure. So we've got our behaviour listening to a full five minutes of a meditation. We've got the time in the sequence of behaviours that we want to use it. And we have built by now a reinforcer. We work out what it is of the dopamine, the serotonin, the endorphins or the oxytocin that we can give to ourselves quite soon after the end of this behaviour to support us in developing it. And the final thing I want to look at is back-chaining. So we go to the end of a behaviour to start building it. So if I wanted to teach my dog, which I did, to find eggs in the garden because the chickens had taken to laying eggs all over the place, in the woods, in the fields, in the stables, and I didn't want to lose them. I didn't want them to just sit there rotting. So I had to train the dog to go and hunt down chickens' eggs. I don't start by going out into the field and going, find me an egg, because that means nothing, and it's not a behaviour we've instilled. 
It's a completely pointless exercise. I start at the end of that behavior. So that particular behavior chain is me say, find an egg, her go out and find an egg, pick it up, carry it softly in her mouth, she's a spaniel, this is fine, bring it back, hand it to me, and receive the reward. So the end point of that is receive the reward. But just standing giving her treats is not a useful thing to do. So what I want is to for her to associate the reinforcement with the egg. So I start with the egg in my hand. If she touches it with her nose, then I give her a reinforcement. She is already quite used to touching things with her nose for reinforcement. If I needed to build that as a behaviour, I would do that first. After a while, I don't give the reinforcement straight away and in possible frustration, she lifts the egg up. So then I have egg in mouth. And in order to take the reinforcement, she has to open her mouth and spit the egg out. That's fine. Egg in my hand, get reinforcement. So then we have a mini behaviour, which is pick egg out of my hand, hold it a moment, spit it back out, take the reinforcement. Once that's solid, I put the egg on the floor. Some are soft, where it's not going to break. And then the behaviour becomes pick it up and bring it back, because in order to spit it into my hand, which is the end of the behaviour, she has to be carrying it. In order to carry it, she has to pick it up. Quite soon we progress to me hiding eggs around the house, where I know where they are. She goes to find them, she picks them up, she brings them back to me, she spits them into my hand, she gets her reinforcement, and then we're ready to take it on the road and take it out and she can find eggs in the stables and the woods, wherever. The downside of this is that in the end she stands outside the chicken house, whining at the chickens to lay their eggs, now that they're all laying them in the house. I didn't think of that. We do end up with the law of unintended consequences, but never mind. So we've, we go back to our behaviour, which is a discrete behaviour of sit down, put in earbuds, listen to a track that starts and ends with a chime, take out earbuds, put them down, walk downstairs, get a cup of tea. I could start with walk downstairs, get a cup of tea, but that's pretty much like feeding treats to the dog. It's not really tagged to a behaviour. I could start with sitting on the bed, take out my earbuds, put them down very carefully because OCD, walk downstairs, get a cup of tea. It's probably still too much of a chunk down. So what I've chosen to do is listen to the end chime of the visualisation. Take out my earbuds, put them down, go downstairs, have a cup of tea. And what I have also done, those of you who are working through the workbook will know this, is that I've attached at the front of it a feeling that I have evoked of a sense of Christmas morning. I hate Christmas now. That doesn't matter. When I was five years old, Christmas morning was magical and I can still remember that feeling and I still have triggers that will help me to feel that feeling. Next podcast, we're going to look at evoking feeling in much more detail. I'm doing it now because it creates anticipation, which in itself is reinforcing. I listen to a chime, take out my earbuds, put them down, go downstairs, have a cup of tea. If I'm the kind of person who wants a square of chocolate, this is when I give myself a square of chocolate. And that's enough. It's easy. It's obvious. It's attainable. It's measurable. I've listened to a three seconds of a track. And that's it. And when that is instilled, when that feels like something that I can do and want to do, then I can listen to a slightly longer track. I can put a chime in front so I can have chime, a little bit of a gap, chime, take my earbuds out, put them down, go downstairs, have a cup of tea. And I build up the length, the duration of that behaviour the sitting, visualising, connecting with water or 
watching my breath or whatever it is that I want to do that I believe is going to help me to be the person who moves towards conscious evolution. I extend that slowly and I surround it by reinforcing things. I have my anticipatory feeling and I have my reinforcement at the end. And if I don't wake up in the morning and I really want to do that, then the reinforcement is not high enough and I need to go away and do some more work at what is really reinforcing. Two bits of chocolate. Another cup of tea. A cup of tea and two minutes on Facebook. A cup of tea and five minutes in an arena on Warcraft. I'm not going there. I have given it up, but it would be immensely reinforcing if I chose to do that. I would be listening to any amount of whatever you wanted me to listen to if I could have five minutes in an arena in Warcraft. So find out for yourselves what's really reinforcing. Work out what the behaviour is that you want. Work out the small parts that you can increase incrementally. Work out where you want to do it within the sequence of your days. And then really begin to practice and watch yourselves. Watch where the habit is. Is it something you're looking forward to? Is it something that's as habitual as brushing your teeth? Because in the end, that's what we want to get to, is that you get up and you do this. And because what we're doing is a meditation, we don't want it to be unthinking. We want it to be fully focused and fully present in the moment. But that in itself is a behaviour that we are practising, learning how to become fully present in every moment of the day. And then, if we go and brush our teeth after, we can be fully present while we're brushing our teeth. We can be fully present while we walk downstairs. We can be fully present while we make the cup of tea and connect with the water that is coming out of the tap. After a while, that sense of what fires together wires together, which we've spoken about in previous podcasts, we're beginning to hardwire habits of behaviour and habits of being that will carry us through the day. So that's it for this podcast. Go away and think about habits. Go away and look at the habits of your days. Next podcast, I want to look at the habits of thought that we create and particularly the habits of feeling. For now, thank you to Caro C for sound production and for the music. Thank you to Faith for creating the website and for being the other half of everything that we do. And thank you to you for listening. If you like us, please give us five stars and a review on the podcast app of your choice. Please share us widely, because the way we are going to make the world different is if we can bring enough people to this who get it. And those of you who've been talking to us on the forum, you really get it, and I am enormously grateful. So share with your friends, with your family, with your colleagues, with your local Extinction Rebellion group. Share with anyone who wants to make the world a different place. And if you're interested in coming to look at the membership program or to look at any other part of the website, we're on accidentalgods.life. So until the next time, have a good day. Goodbye.